Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We are continuing in our series called The Missing Peace. And what we're learning in this series is that there's a lot of chaos, a lot of craziness, a lot of stress, anxiety, worries, problems that we have faced and that we will face. And it almost seems like Christmas amplifies all of that in our lives. But what we're learning is that often what we're looking for is peace and we're missing peace in our lives. And what we're learning in the series is that true and lasting peace is only found in Jesus. And so we kicked off the series uh, talking about the life of Joseph, Jesus's dad or stepdad. He's one of those things, but he was, uh, Joseph, uh, he was Jesus's earthly father. And we learned that Joseph, he had this plan and this idea for where he wanted his life to go and what he wanted his life to be like. And God came in and interrupted those plans. And what we learned is that we may not understand everything going on behind the scenes, in our life, but we can be confident that God is with us and we can have peace. In week number two, Pastor Kevin last weekend taught us from Luke chapter two, the Christmas story. And what we were learning in that series is that there's a lot of problems that we have, but we need to put our focus. We need a lens of an eternal perspective. And so we needed to fix our eyes on those things and not on the things of this earth. And this week we are in Matthew chapter two, learning about the life of King Herod in a message that's called what's stealing your peace. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I love Christmas time. By a show of hands, how many of you guys love Christmas time? Like some of you are raising up two hands. Some of you are not raising up hands at all. Some of you are like, maybe, I'm not quite sure yet, but we love Christmas time in our family. It's one of our favorite times of the year. In fact, our kids get so excited about decorating the house on the inside. They love getting all the decorations out and then fight over whose is what uh, ornaments and things like that. And they love getting the Christmas tree up as well. And uh, in fact, it's kind of weird. My middle son, Asher, lately he's really been into, let's get lights on the house. And I'm like, I don't even know the first thing about that, Asher. Like I didn't grow up putting lights on our house or anything like that. I've only seen it in movies. So I'm making a lot of assumptions with how you do it on a house. But I'm telling him, Asher, I can't put lights on the house. I don't have a ladder. Do you know how steep our roof is? Like, this is just not going to happen. I could die putting up lights on the house. Do you want me to die before Christmas? And he paused. And I was like, you had to pause? <laughs> and he paused and he thought about it. It was a longer pause than I thought he really needed to have. And he said, no, I still want Christmas lights on the house. I was like, does my life mean nothing to you, Asher? Come on, man. But I loved it because last night we drove by a house and he was like, dad, we just need to put Christmas lights on the house. You know, it's like this thing that we keep doing. But I loved it because my wife, Jen, she goes, Asher, when you get to be a teenager, why don't you go and put lights up on the house? You'll be old enough. You'll be strong enough. You can do it. And he was like, nope, I don't want to do that. I was like, then why are you forcing me to do it? Like, come on, man. This is not fair. But we love Christmas in our house. We'll get the Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving and our decorations. And I know for some of you, that's a sin. Pray for us then, because we need to be delivered, because we love Christmas time in our house. And uh, we will, Jen will put Christmas music in the car where we're going and all throughout the house. And let me just be honest, sometimes 
I need to step away from this holly jolly mood and kind of get a little reality back because it starts to annoy me after a while. But, you know, one thing that I was noticing is with all this Christmas music and all these Christmas songs, after listening to it for about a month, some of them are a little bizarre and strange, aren't they? Like, can we get a good amen with some of that? It's okay. They're weird songs. They're a little strange. Like, there's this song called, Do You Hear What I Hear? We know the song. We sung the song. It might even be your favorite song, but it's a strange song because there's a line that goes, little lamb talking to a shepherd boy. Like, what is, what is going on in this song? Since when does an animal talk to a person? This shepherd boy sounds like he's been out in the field a little too long if animals are talking to him. Or maybe this shepherd's been smoking something out in that field, and that's why the lamb is talking to him. I don't know which one it is, but something weird is happening in that song. That's funny, all right? I laugh. I laugh at that. We're in church. We can laugh about it. All right. But then there's the, the verse that goes, a child shivering in the night. Let us bring him silver and gold. What? This child is shivering and you're going to bring him silver and gold? How about a blanket? How about some like hot chocolate or I don't know, like uh, build a fire for him. We're going to give him riches? Like that doesn't even make any sense. And what I feel like that song is teaching us and talking to us is that this baby is going to die of pneumonia, but he's going to be loaded. Like I don't know... <laughs> what that song is all about. And I, I love this because I, I was saying this in the first service and uh, Caitlin, she's our graphic designer here at Awake and she does a great job. So anything you see, is, uh, she's something, she's created it. She's doing an awesome job and an excellent job with that. But she told me, she was like, hey, have you ever thought about the song from Little, Little Drummer Boy? Like, that's a weird song too. And I went, I know, it's an odd song. It's a strange song. Like a kid coming in and is just gonna do a little drum solo right as you get the baby to sleep. Like that's even the worst thing too. Like who does this kind of stuff? They're weird songs. But I love this song, Silent Night. It's a great song. I sing the song to my kids all the time. We, uh, you know, it kind of puts me to sleep as I'm singing it to them and puts them to sleep. And it has this line in it. We'll sing it. It's a great song. But it has this line. It says, all is calm, all is bright. And it says, sleep in heavenly peace. And I think right now, we could all, if we were to to look at this song, we all might feel like we need a little heavenly peace right now. But if we're being honest, this song, while it's a great song, it's not an accurate portrayal of the birth of Jesus. Those living in those days would not have described the birth of Jesus as calm or silent. You have a teenage mother who's about to give birth to her very first child, only to find out, hey, guess what, Mary? There's no room in the inn for you, so best uh, bet for you is to go out to this barn and give birth to this child. It'll be your first birth, but you know what? It's dark, it's smelly, it's, it's terrible. There's animals everywhere, it's nasty. And if you've ever had a child, that child never comes out calm and silent. It comes out screaming. And so did Jesus. But to top it all off, here's a king named Herod, and he's trying to kill Jesus. There was nothing calm and silent about that night. And I think that would describe our world as well. There isn't a lot of silence. There isn't a lot of calmness. You could turn on the news and notice there's not a lot of peaceful moments in our world either. In fact, if you do turn on the news, what you're going to find out is there's a lot of chaos, craziness, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety and worry in our lives and in our worlds. There's not a lot of peace. 
I believe that many of you have come here to the North Venue or you're watching online or you're in the social side and you're desperately searching for peace. You want to have peace in your soul. You want to have a peace of mind right now. And today what I want to show you here in Matthew chapter 2 is that there's a guy named Herod and he was searching for the same thing. But he found his peace in his achievements and his possessions and not in Jesus. In fact, Herod's life was shaken up. His life was completely rocked at the news that the Prince of Peace had actually come into this world. And so let's read Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So Jesus was born. And here come these wise men from the east. They're known as magi. And we don't really talk about wise men from the east or magi unless it's Christmas time. And we might not even know, just like some of the Christmas songs, we may not actually know who they are. So if you don't know who they are, basically they're astrologers. So don't think of them as some like hippie guys with no lives and no jobs who just stare at the stars all day and they just showed up to Herod's place going, whoa, Herod, like we're chasing some stars and we came down to your front porch and we found the star. Do you know who this king is? That's not who they are. They're actually very well-respected officials with power and influence in both religion and politics. And here they are, they show up at Herod's front door, chasing after the star, ultimately to get to Jesus, to worship him as the new king and the true king of kings. Now here's the problem. Here's where Herod's world starts getting rocked. Because in the pursuit of the new king, they run into the existing king. If you ask anybody living in this time who the king was, people would have boldly and loudly declared that it was Herod. They would have said, Herod is the king. And here's these wise men, and they show up, and they ask Herod, hey, where's this new king? We want to go and worship him. I don't think we can honestly understand the impact of Matthew chapter 2 and understand fully what it's saying until we understand the type of king that Herod was and how he ruled and how he reigned. Because here's my concern for us today. We'll look at this passage and we've read the story many times. Many of us know who the wise men are. We've read the Christmas story. We have an understanding of it, but we can become so used to hearing this story that they've almost become fables and myths or legends in our mind. We can think of this as a cool story that we might read at Christmas time and then go, you know, I don't know that I honestly believe everything that that Christmas story is telling me. I don't know that I believe that it's true. But I want you to understand something today, that these aren't just stories to believe in. These aren't just tales to be told around a Christmas Yule log, but these are actually events that took place. This is historical events. And what I want us to do today is have an understanding of who Herod was and where he found his peace and where he put his trust. And so I'm going to lay that foundation a little bit. And at the end of having an understanding of this passage and some of the context of it, at the end, I'm going to have some application and some questions that we need to ask ourselves. And there's really just three things that you need to understand about Herod and what was most important to King Herod and, and what about his rule and his reign. And the first one is his obsession with constructing massive building projects. See, Herod showed no restraint when it came to uh, his extravagance and variety of structures. 
For example, he built a city called Caesarea, and it was one of the biggest ports in the entire region. And there's a story that goes, one day he was uh, sailing back from Rome, and he was looking at Caesarea from a distance, and he was like, that doesn't look all that impressive. And so when he got to shore, he gathered the right people around, and he was like, hey guys, Caesarea's looking weak. Let's step up its game a little bit. And he was like, let's cover this place up with marble. And so the city was covered in marble. Uh, He built himself 15 palaces, uh, all with the modern conveniences and swimming pools. And as I was studying this passage, I was asking like, how did he get all this money? How was he such a rich king? Here's the second thing you need to understand about Herod when it comes to his rule and reign. And it is this, that he taxed the people to death. That's how he got his money. He was wealthy because of the taxes that the people had to pay. You think you have it rough today? It's nothing like what these people had to pay back in their day. They, were, they had to pay all kinds of taxes. They were scraping by just to live. The type of taxes they had to pay was a Roman tribute tax, a, tribute, a Roman tribute tax, a trade tax, a market exchange tax, and a temple tax. And so after all these people paid all these taxes, 75% of their income went to these taxes. That meant they only had 25% to live off of. They were poor. They were taxed to death. They were living paycheck to paycheck. So not only did he love building his structures, and not only did he tax people to death, but the third thing you need to know about his rule and his reign and what type of king he was, was that he loved his kingship. He loved being the king, but he was a very insecure king. He was always very nervous about losing control of his kingdom. And if he deemed anybody a threat to his kingdom, they were quickly killed. There's some stories that go, uh, well, and I'm not just talking about his political enemies too, either. This went as far as his family. In fact, there's some stories that go that Herod uh, would kill his own kids. One son that he had, he killed because he believed that that son was trying to overthrow uh, him as king. And so he viewed him as a, that he was trying to sit up on that throne that King Herod owned. And so what he did was he drowned him in the family pool. His other two sons, who were his outspoken favorite sons, these were the kids he loved the most. He thought they were plotting his death, and so he strangled them to death, only later to find out he was completely wrong. Herod was an insane guy. That's how he treated his kids. He was just an unstable, power-hungry, paranoid guy. And during this time, it really bothered him that the Jewish people didn't love him. You see, he was part Jewish, even though he was a Roman king. And he thought that the Jewish people should appreciate his rule and his reign because he had some Jewish lineage in him. He participated in a lot of the Jewish elements and what they would do with the Jewish faith. He even expanded and improved the temple for the Jewish people, but they never, and he never gained their love or their approval of him. So you could see Herod wanted to protect his kingdom at all costs. No one was exempt from his paranoia and his anger. And so with all of that new insight, when we have an understanding of how King Herod ruled and reigned and what type of king he was, it makes us read this Christmas story just a little bit differently. Because when Herod hears from the wise men that a new king has been born, it makes his reaction in verse 3 a little bit more clearer. When it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You see, Herod was shocked with what the wise men had said. It bothered him. And I found in a line very interesting that I think further uh, shows us what type of king he is. The line that says uh, that all of Jerusalem was bothered with him. 
And I find that interesting because when Herod was having a good day, everybody was having a good day. And when everybody was having a bad, or when King Herod was having a bad day, everybody in that area had a bad day as well. That's just the type of king that he was. And so when he heard this news, you got to understand that Herod was threatened by Jesus. Because everything that Herod held on to, everything that he built, all, every palace that he had, his power, his wealth, all were threatened by this king named Jesus. And so Herod had to respond to what he's hearing. And so he needed to answer two very important questions. Who is this new king and where is this new king? And so he starts to take action in verse four. This is how he starts to take action. It says, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ is to be born. See, Herod is a smart king. This isn't the first showdown that he's had with somebody trying to overthrow him. This isn't his first rodeo. He knows what to do. He's experienced some of this before. And so he hears this threat of a king and he calls the chief priests and the teachers of the law together because he's the man in power. He knows all the right people to get all the right answers. And he brings them together and he finds out who this Christ is. And again, Herod had some Jewish heritage in him. So he would have heard about the coming Messiah. This wouldn't have been new news to him. He would have heard about this. He would have known about the Messiah was coming, but he was scared because of what most people believed that the coming Messiah was coming to do. You see, most people in this area believe that the coming Messiah wasn't to come to this earth to live and die a perfect life and die on the cross for the sins of the world. Most people believe that the coming Messiah was to come up and overthrow the king and take over the Roman Empire. And so that meant that Herod was going down. And so he assigns these teachers of the law and these chief priests to, to find out the right information because he wants to protect his kingdom. And he's willing to do anything necessary to get rid of this king. And so in verse 5, they tell him the information he needs to know. They answer all of his questions, but the, the answers that they give him shock him. It's in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem was literally in Herod's backyard. That's not just a figure of speech. He had a palace that was built up on this hill, and any morning that he would wake up, he could walk out and he could look, and three miles away was that little town of Bethlehem. And so literally, the Messiah was already in his backyard. It wasn't like this coming king was coming to invade him. No, this king had already arrived. And so he begins to plan of what he's going to do. And he also comes up with a backup plan. And that's what verses seven and eight are all about. When it says, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod's like, hey, uh, wise men, just for my information, you know, I'm just trying to keep up to date with everything that's happening. Uh, hey, when did you see that star appear? Because he needed that information to be his backup plan. That's verse seven. Verse seven is his backup plan. Because if verse eight doesn't work, he needs to use verse seven. And so he's like, but okay, thanks for the information, guys. Now go and worship this new king. Go bring him your gifts. Go worship him. Go do what you need to do. And come back and tell me because I want to worship him too, guys. Like that's what he's doing. He doesn't want to worship him at all. He wants to kill him. And so the wise men go in verse 11. It says this. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. 
Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So the Magi find Jesus, they bring him the gifts, they worship Jesus, and they're ready to go back to Herod and give him the information that he wants so he can go worship him too. But God intervenes and sends him in a different direction. And I just want to pause here for just a minute because I don't want us to miss the power of God working in this situation right here. Because here's Jesus and he's a young child and he probably has no clue what's going on and what's happening in his life. He has no clue that there's another king coming in trying to kill him and get rid of him. And the reality for every single one of us is we're all going to have problems in life too. We might not have a king trying to come and kill us, but we're all going to face problems in our life. And here's what I want you to understand, is that God's plan for your life is way bigger than any problem you're ever going to face. The plans that God had in place for his son, Jesus, no problem, no king, no ruler, were going to get in the way of those problems. And that's the reality for your life and mine as a child of God. The plans that God has for your life might include some difficult circumstances and troubles and problems, but they are meant to fit into the bigger overall plan that God has for your life. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it opportunities for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. See, whenever different difficulties or circumstances or trials or problems come into our life, we need to know that God is doing something excellent in and through those problems. Now, if this was a Hollywood story, it would probably be like the end, the credits would start to roll. We would think, yes, you know, Herod had this plan. God intervened, sent them a different direction. They didn't tell Herod where Jesus was and they lived happily ever after. And we would cheer because Herod's plans were blocked. The Magi have outwitted him. But this isn't a Hollywood ending. And Herod was a smart king. And he had this backup plan in verse seven. And so he enacts it in verse 16. And it says this, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. That question that Herod asked him about the star, he's using that information to find out how old Jesus was. And he realized Jesus was going to be two years old and under. And so that's his backup plan. And he knows how he's going to get rid of this king. He's just like, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill every single baby boy in Bethlehem, two years old and under. This king will be no more. And I will finally have peace in my kingdom again. Herod is a crazy man. He's so mad that the Magi outwitted him, that they tricked him. And he's willing to do whatever he needs to do to defend what is his. And you got to ask yourself this question, like, how did Herod get to this place? He's no longer a normal human being anymore. He's a lunatic. He's a crazy man. How did he get here? It's one thing to protect your kingdom. It's a whole other thing to kill every baby boy two years and under. And here's the reality. Here's what's happening in Herod's life. He's seeing all that he had built, all that he holds dearly to, everything that he has just slipping through his fingers. And here's the problem. 
Herod couldn't imagine his life without his power, without his palaces, without his wealth. And if he didn't have those things, he didn't really want to live at all. Because that's what he hoped in, that's what he trusted in, and that's what he found his peace in. And all of his achievements, and all of his success, all of his wealth and power. And so now that we have this understanding of who Herod was and how he ruled and how he reigned and how he uh, acted as a king and the type of king he was and some of the history of what's going on here, this is how it's going to apply to us. Because I believe that Herod's story is a warning for all of us. Because when we look at Herod's story, we can think, man, this guy is nuts. This guy is crazy. He's not even a human being anymore. He's insane. But if we're being honest with ourselves, and when we look at our own lives, we all have the tendency to be Herod. Because at some point you were Herod or you are Herod right now. We have a lot in common with Herod, whether we'd like to believe it and admit it or not. Because at the end of the day, Herod trusted in certain things. And I believe many of us are guilty of that today. We put our hope and our trust in our finances, in our status or our control more than we trust Jesus. Herod trusted his money to get him through. He trusted in his power to protect him. And he trusted in his palaces. And I don't think that we're that far from Herod in our current culture today. Because thousands of years later, we're still looking for someone or something to put our hope, to put our peace, and to put our trust in. And so here's the two questions you need to ask yourself today to see where your peace is. And the first question is this, where is your trust today? Ask yourself that question. Fill in the blank. Say, I trust in blank. And don't just say Jesus because we're in church and you're like, anytime a pastor asks me a question, I know I need to say Jesus because I'm 90% right all the time. No, be honest with yourself. Fill in that blank honestly. Say, I trust in. I think for many of us, we would say that we trust in our jobs more than we trust in Jesus. We trust that our jobs are going to sustain us and provide for our needs and our family's needs and wants. So we put a lot of trust in that job more than we trust in Jesus. For others of you, you might fill in that blank and put education. That you trust in your education more than you trust in Jesus and what people think of you. For others, you might fill in status or your titles or your popularity or your power or the things that money can buy you. Fill in the blank on how that applies for you. The majority of us, we can relate with Herod because we have taken our trust, we have taken our hope, and we've removed it from the king of kings, and we've put it in other things. And here's the problem with that. Here's where it leads us. What we trust in often becomes the object of our worship. You see, when we take our trust and we put it in other things, what it does is it builds this throne in our hearts. And whatever sits on that throne in our hearts is what we worship. And I wonder for many of us, including myself, what is sitting on that throne? When we trust in things, it postures our hearts and our minds and our souls to worship the things that we were never created to worship. And maybe you're here today and you're wondering, well, what do I truly worship? And I think that's a good question to ask yourself. We should ask it daily, what am I truly worshiping? Because I believe that there are a lot of us who will claim that we worship Jesus, but we don't really worship Jesus at all. 
We can come to church and we can lift up our hands and we can sing some songs and we can believe that we are worshiping Jesus because it's really easy for us to claim with our mouths who we worship, but it's a whole other level to claim and to worship God with our lives. And if you want to know what you worship, you just have to follow the trail of your life. And here's what I mean by that. Follow the trail of your time. Coming to the end of a year, it's a good time to reflect on things. Think about your life. Maybe not just 2020, but think about the last three years, the last four years, five years. What would your calendar say that you worship? Here in Tennessee, we were uh, locked down for a couple months back in March. And, uh, you know, what would your calendar say that you worshiped? How did you spend most of your time when you were locked down in quarantine? What would your calendar say you worshiped? Follow the trail of your energy, your passions, your gifts, your talents. Where are you investing those? Follow the trail of your money. Check your bank statement, your credit card statement. Check your wallet. Check your receipts. That will tell you what you're worshiping with your money and what's most important to you. You see, asking ourselves what we worship can be a scary thing to ask because I think if we're just being honest, we don't really want to follow those trails because we're afraid of what they might reveal about us. We're afraid that if we look at the way we spend our money or how we look at how we spend our time or our energy, that the results won't be what we're claiming with our mouths. You see, I think at some point we need to follow those trails to really see if we're worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the reality for many of us is that we are trusting in and we are hoping in the wrong things, which leads us to worship things that aren't Jesus. And that was Herod. He trusted in everything he could see. He trusted in everything he could touch, everything that he could build. And the problem with trusting earthly things is it is a trust misplaced. Trusting in temporary things dies with us. The, thing of, the things of this world promise so much, yet they never deliver and they leave us empty inside. Jesus is the only one who delivers. Jesus is the only one who will leave you full and satisfied. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Things will fade over time. They won't deliver, and we see that in Herod's life. So what are you trusting in today? Ask yourself that question. Are you like Herod? You're trusting everything you built in your achievements, in your wealth, the things that you can hold on to, that you can see and touch? Or are you the opposite of that? Are you trusting in Jesus? The second question you need to ask yourself is, what legacy will I leave? See, when we read the Christmas story and you fast forward to now, to 2020, every palace that Herod built lies in ruins. All the money that he held so closely and that he loved so dearly went to somebody else or is buried in the ground. All his power was stripped away from him. And the only reason why we're talking about Herod today is because his story is a little part, is a footnote, in the much greater story of the true king of kings, and that is King Jesus, whose kingdom will never fade and whose kingdom will never end. That's the only reason why Herod's legacy lasts, and that should be a warning to us. 
Because if we want to live a life worthy of a legacy, if we want our lives to mean more, we need to invest into eternal things and not store up things on this earth. Let's be people and let's be a church that wants to invest into those eternal things with our energy, our money, our time, our talents. Let's invest in eternal things. I love what Psalm 39, 4 says. It says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. I love that verse because it reminds us that our time on earth is very short, that we only have a few years to make an impact in our families, in our workplace, in our communities. I love that it says our life is but a breath because life flies by. Our days are numbered, so let's make the most out of what we have. And you might think, well, I don't know that I have much time left or that I've wasted so many years of my life. Redeem the time that you have. Let this be a reminder to you, this verse here in Psalm 39, be a reminder to you that reminds you of how much time you really have, and it's not a lot. When I was reading this verse in Psalms and I was thinking about Herod's life and I was thinking about my own life and I was thinking about that psalm, it reminded me that uh, there are some celebrities who've been claimed to be dead but actually weren't ever dead to begin with. I read stories about how Justin Bieber died a few times, uh, how Will Ferrell has apparently died too, and I read because Home Alone is one of my favorite Christmas movies, so Macaulay Culkin apparently died at one point in his life as well, and of course, those were all miscommunications or hoaxes, and so I was reading it, and they were all claimed to be dead, but they weren't, as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, I wonder if these celebrities ever woke up one morning and was like, ah, it's going to be a great day today, and they hop on Twitter, and they realize, I'm dead? That's, I don't understand how that happened, and so maybe they're reading through, like, how they died, or what's said of them, or how they're going to be remembered, and they're reading through all of that, and maybe some of them are like, I really wish they wouldn't remember me for that, or I really said that, like, I wish they wouldn't have brought that up again. But it reminded me of a true story of a man who one morning got up and he grabbed his newspaper. And that tells you how long this story is. I don't know anybody who grabs a newspaper anymore, but he woke up in the morning and he grabbed his newspaper and he sat down to read the obituary column. And what he found out was that his name was in there. And so you can't be dead and read your own name, but he was reading what he would be remembered for. And it was his creation of dynamite. And this is what he said after that. He said, of all the things I could be remembered for, it'll be my creation of something that was used for mass destruction. And so he decided to make some dramatic changes in his life. The man who found out that he was dead, but he really wasn't, was Alfred Nobel. And he went on to create the Nobel Peace Prize. So I, as I was thinking about those stories, as I thought about that and the celebrities and Herod's life, I was just reminded that God has given us all a job to do. You see, I believe Jesus is coming back very, very soon. We are closer than we ever have been before. And Jesus is coming back. And I truly believe that we need to make wise use of every opportunity and all the time that we have. We need to think about our lives and know, just as the Psalms tells us, that our time here on earth is short. The Bible tells us that there's going to be a judgment when we get into heaven. And it's not going to be the judgment whether or not you get into heaven, but it's a second judgment. 
and it's called the judgment seat of Christ. And if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like an awards ceremony. But here's the question I want you to think about. How will you be awarded? God has given you a job to do, and he's going to hold you responsible and accountable for the opportunities and resources that he's given you. Think about your legacy. Think about what matters. No one is guaranteed another day. So live the way you should be living today. Make your life count. Leave a legacy that will last. What would people say about you when you die? Would you like what they say? Would you love how you would be remembered? If not, be like Alfred Nobel. Change that around. Turn it around today. Leave a legacy that lasts. Herod's legacy is gone. Everything that he had is gone. So let's not be like Herod. Let's be the opposite of that and leave a legacy that counts. Christmas is five days away. And like I said, I believe that it is one of the most wonderful times of the year, but I also believe that it could be also one of the worst times of the year because we do the exact same thing that Herod does. We place our hope in things because for many of us, we are hopeful that there will be a gift or there will be a present under that tree that might just change the way that we feel about life right now. That there's a gift that's going to give you some joy, that's going to give you some peace, and that's going to give you something that you've been longing for. Maybe you're thinking that this Christmas holiday is just going to fix the dysfunction in your family today. And we're hoping and trusting in Christmas to fix the only things that Jesus can fix in our lives. And see, we do this all throughout the year. Forget Christmas for just a minute. We hope on a regular basis for things to give us joy. And we say things like, well, if I could just get this house, then I feel complete. If I could just get this job promotion, then I'll finally have enough money and have peace in my life. Or if I could just step into this relationship, then I would be feeling complete and have everything that I need. And the reality is whether you get those things or not, they never end up delivering what we think they will. Herod trusted in, found his peace in, his wealth and his achievements, but all they did for him was leave him empty inside. They never delivered what he thought they were going to deliver. And some of you, you're here today and you can relate with Herod because you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And you're trying to find peace in this life. You're trying to find peace in your wealth, your achievements, your status. You're trying to find everything you can in this life to give you peace outside of Jesus. But let me save you some time and some frustration and tell you that it's never going to happen. Sure, you might find moments of short-term peace and joy and happiness. But long-term peace, joy, happiness is only found in Jesus. Jesus will give you what your soul is missing. And that's a relationship with him that's going to leave you full and satisfied. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.